0: Welcome everybody to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast, Couch Chronicles Edition. Shoulder feels like shit. We record from the couch. It is 1.26 p.m. Eastern on January 29th in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm sitting here with Cookie who's still in a cone, still has her back left paw wrapped. But tomorrow the stitches come out for the cook bear. And uh, it turns out that she will probably recover quicker from having her leg run over by a car than I will from the shoulder surgery last night. um, I'm starting to get like a mix of anxiety and pain. And I'm trying to, you guys know me as just an optimistic, calm person. So I'm really trying to get zen with it. But I couldn't fall asleep last night. Um, I... Went. I left the bedroom. Went to the living room. Tried to sit and sleep to keep the shoulder upright. Then went into the office. Tried to set up a little blanket fort on the couch in the office. I was trying everything, and then I took a melatonin, which um, was even more problematic because I wasn't falling asleep, and that's that's the worst when a sleep drug is not helping. And then finally. At about 2.15ish, I think I just passed out. Like I don't even remember falling asleep. Basically, I need Michael Jackson's doctor at this point to help me get to sleep. Um, I woke up again at like five, milled around for an hour, and then got like another hour and a half of sleep. So I feel good now, but boy oh boy, Um, the shoulder hurts, not in the same way there is hope that I'm feeling just kind of some real soreness in the shoulder, but it's not the level, it isn't the level of pain that I experienced when I had to get surgery again. So we have to keep our fingers crossed that I don't need surgery again, but I have kept a reserve supply of Oxy, which I'm calling the Chicago supply. The Chicago supply means I'm not canceling the show in Chicago, okay? It's a big show. Uh, It's my next, well, I'm in, uh, oh, segue. Newark this Friday, if I have any New Jersey people, all the ticket links are on my website. I am in New Jersey at Newark, um, uh, Friday night and then Tuesday, February 7th city winery in Chicago, for God's sakes, get tickets, tell any and all friends you have in the, in the Midwest, in the greater Chicago area that they, they won't regret it going to this show. Um, and then after that. I have a show that I can't put on the website yet. It's kind of like a humor panel discussion show in Rutherford, New Jersey on February 22nd. So if that's anywhere near you, just maybe pencil in on your calendar. Details should be up on my website hopefully this week. Um, And then after that, all the March dates, Montclair, March 2nd, Montclair, New Jersey, Boston City Winery, March 3rd, DC Improv, March 19th. Still don't have a ticket link for that. Have been asking for a month. Um, for a ticket link and confirmation on feature and uh, nothing so far. So don't know why that is. um, But yeah, so March 19th, DC uh, in the lounge. So got to sell that show out only one show. So hopefully all my DC people get tickets uh, promptly when the ticket link goes up. And then March 24th, City Winery, Philadelphia. March 20, that's a Friday, March 25th, Princeton, New Jersey, and then March 31st and April 1st, new special taping. Um, we are still at two tickets sold between the two shows, so out of 230 tickets available uh, with two months to go, two have been sold. So we're on fire right now. I, I think it would be fitting for my career to end performing in front of an empty theater. I think that's probably, maybe that's what I should do, just not sell any tickets and just go, this is this is about right. This is about my comedy careers. Uh, and, and also, speaking of comedy career, uh, I got a W two from Showtime today. Um, apparently, I was supposed to get another check this year that never arrives, But now I'm being uh, given documentation to show the tax man. So I think that's also pretty on brand for the Jo comedy career. Um, double taxed on one uh, appearance. I'm guessing I got paid in 2021 when I filmed Billions, I got paid like a month later. And that's all I was told. And then I got a W2 yesterday from Showtime for like like a $1,600 payout. And I'm like, uh, uh, didn't get that. So I don't know if like when the show aired, do I get like, I don't know any of the rules of Hollywood or anything, but do I get like another check when the show actually airs? No idea, it was never told. I also, am, I'm very certain that I've only filmed one thing for Showtime. Like you would have heard eight episodes worth of CanCant if I had filmed anything else for Showtime. So very peculiar that, I, you know, I, am, uh, I have to present a W-2 to the tax man for money I never received. So we're gonna find out tomorrow from Showtime what's up with that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Then the career falls off a cliff and uh, we say Goodbye um, working on making some progress on at least obtaining my comedy albums. Um, they don't, they will not, they're not dead. They're not gone. I mean, they're gone from anywhere you can listen to them, but they are the host site has them. So I talked to the person who'd organized my albums over the last decade and a half, and they were giving me some info on how to get my, at least the artwork and the audio files and all that. So that's good. That put my mind at ease. At least it's, they're not gone from my ability to get them. But then this is the week where I find out how the fuck can I take action, get my stuff back up, clear up this licensing issue, et cetera. So it'll be a fun week between the shoulder pain and, uh, the existential crisis of my comedy career and selling no tickets. So it's a, it's a fun, we're, 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 we're really operating on no cylinders here at JL Comedy Inc. Um, I interrupted myself to mention gigs shoulder. Don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, shoulder, shoulder. Um, I'm I am going to Chicago. Um, I, I'm not canceling. I'm actually tempted to ship my suitcase out there just just to eliminate any wear and tear that may occur. But um, I'm keeping a supply of oxy just as a backup plan in case I'm on the road and like, I'm in so much pain. I'm like, well, I'm doing the fucking show and going back and forth. So I've got that supply lined up. Um, but should be an awesome show. Um, and hopefully when I see my doctor this week, I, I hope that I'm just a bitch and that it's not, um, a second failed surgery. Uh, cause it's, you know, but that, but the insomnia is really, Taking a mental toll because I haven't had I haven't really slept more than four hours in a night um, s- since the surgery outside of when I was taking oxy, which was probably about half of that time. But every time I'm not, it's like, it's bad. So hopefully the shoulder starts to feel better and I start to sleep more, or else this is going to turn very quickly into some sort of unforeseen trauma. I feel like fucking Christian Bale in The Machinist right now. Go watch it if you haven't. It's a good movie. Um, but, okay. So we talked gigs. Um, what am I watching right now? Uh, I tried to watch, uh, the show genius. Um, like it was a national geographic series. They're on Hulu. The first one was, uh, Jeffrey Rush as Einstein. The second season was, uh, Antonio Banderas as Pablo Picasso. And the third one was the one I was most interested in, which was, uh, Cynthia Erivo as, uh, Aretha Franklin. But I never got around to watching it. I taped it, I, and I just and I finally started watching it yesterday. And I only made it one episode. It was terrible. Like no wonder it wasn't. She was nominated for for like acting awards, but I don't think this. I think the series was ignored overall, for good reason. Like I feel bad. I wanted to watch it because it's. In, she has a rough life and is obviously a, an icon. Was an icon and and a talent. And I know plenty of the music, but. Outside, like, I, I I always check with Rotten Tomatoes. Like, if I'm watching something that's like fucking atrocious, I go, "Is it me or let me check what Rotten Tomatoes just as a guidepost says about this?" And the review was like, it was like 70 percent fresh, which is not a great score for a t- like a prestige limited series. And it said um Cynthia rivo is is excellent as Aretha Franklin. Unfortunately, the quality and writing of the show do not match her. And I was like, "Yep." One episode, that's, that is exactly the vibe I got. So nope, sorry, Aretha. R e s p c t, but not for your sh- S-H-O-W. Um, what else have I watched? I'm getting very bored, as you can imagine, of content. I'm, I'm finally comfortable enough to like read hours at a time. So I'm, I'm starting to mow through the, the George Michael biography. Very much, it's, it's good. It's definitely good. Um, so glad I listened to whatever reviews I saw of it and, and picked it up. But, uh, my review, I think I told you last week or no, it wasn't up yet. It was going up, but, uh, the review for Bono's book, the, the movie, the book review show episode is now up on Patreon. Um, so a couple of new Patreon subscribers this week. So thank you if, whether it was just a desire to see great comedy work or just, you felt guilty, um, whatever it is at this point, I'll take it. So, um, just your friendly, monthly, weekly, daily reminder that I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash uh, J L C A U V I N, a lot of good stuff there. Um, join for a month, check it out. And if you enjoy it, I'll keep pumping out the key Um, I needed a comedy. So I started watching what we do in the shadows with the righteous GF, you know, just like nice 23 minute, 22 minute episodes. It's, I gave it a try at like a, a few, like a couple of years ago and just thought it was like, it's okay, it's all right. Um, but I needed, I think, to be like a little more bummed and a little more in need of cheering up kind of to, to delve into a comedy. But I was, you know, there's just so much drama and action stuff out there and there just isn't as much comedy. So, um I'm enjoying it. It's passing. It's like a good, it's a good, like, hey, I got, we got a half hour. Let's watch one. You know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be binged. So we're, we're making our way through season one of that. So it's, I know a lot of people love that show. I, I it's, it's, it's good so far. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm obviously very much enjoying uh, two Sunday shows right now. The Last of Us, of course. Um, you know, Last of Us, my favorite video game was my, in 2013, I want to say. I had it as my number, I used to do a top 10 things of the year, and in 2013, my number one thing, uh, ahead of all shows, books, movies, etc., even people, was The Last of Us um, on PlayStation 3. So, and I'm enjoying the series uh, tremendously. And uh, also, uh, Mayfair Witches on AMC with Alexandria Daddario. Um, three episodes in, I, I very much like that show, so... Um, and I was working on my Lestat impression, which was really butchered last week, but then I immediately like said, the righteous, I immediately had it better as soon as I wasn't doing the podcast. But if anybody does watch interview of the vampire, the guy who plays Lestat, just, oh, see, I can't when I'm, I don't know if it's, uh, is it stage fright? I can't, I can do it around the, there it is. It's kind of, it's, it's a tough one to get, but I love that guy's voice. Um, I kind of want to hear what he sounds like when he's not in character because he's Australian, so the accent is put on. But I want to know if that's like his real voice or if he's really modulating his own voice. Because it's a very, I feel like the guy has a good look for a vampire, but he also, I think that voice is what sealed it for him in the audition. Anyway, um, Mayfair Witches, though, three episodes in, I'm, 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 I'm on board. I, I definitely like that. And I like how AMC has their own like prestige Marvel universe, the, the Immortal universe. They bought, I guess, the rights to all of Anne Rice's stuff. So like Mayfair Witches is their second Anne Rice property. Um, so yeah, everybody's getting into the franchise business, and and you know that's 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 what we are. Everything's McDonald's now. But but I am enjoying Mayfair Witches for sure. And then I guess one movie review for you. Uh, I will be reviewing this as Trump on the Making Podcast Great Again Patreon uh, next week. But you people, and once again, I preface this, some people are trashing it. I think some people are enjoying it. I preface this with humor is what the doctor ordered for me right now. I have enough melancholy in my own life. And so I watched You People, which is from Kenya Barris, who created Blackish, and uh, Jonah Hill. And I liked it. I just enjoy, like I enjoy, like I, a few moments early on, I was like, oh, okay, this scene is gonna be a show that's like in love with itself, a movie that's in love with itself. But I, but for the most part, I just watched and was like, yeah, it's fun because whether you think it's like great or mediocre or cringy, as everybody was saying, I mean, Julie Louis-Dreyfus and, and Eddie Murphy are both really good. Um, and... Julia Dreyfus, how old is she? She's so pretty, and she's like she's not she's aging extremely well. As is Eddie Murphy, but he's not pretty, but he's he's aging super well as well for a guy with like ten kids who's had scandals and some up and downs in his career. Um, so good for both of them. But they're both they both got their comedy chops. David Duchovny I think has a hilarious scene at the piano. That's all I'll say about that. And I thought Jonah Hill and the and Lauren London um, were were both like I didn't believe it, but I think they played it. Like, they played it where I could kind of believe it. Not totally, but I could kind of believe it. Um, and I liked it. A lot of people are like, you like I thought it sucked, it was so cringy. Was, I don't know, I'm sitting on my couch just hoping that my shoulder's not falling apart. And I, I laughed at several parts in the movie. And I thought everybody was like committed. You know, everybody was was all in. Um, whether it was like great or good or mediocre, I felt like most of the people were, were very committed to trying to make it a good comedy. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So some of you may not, I pre- you know, if, if, if I'm, if I'm under the influence of despair and it's making me more amenable to, to laughter, so be it. It's my life. Okay. Bon Jovi. Um, what else? So that's, that's your, your rain dip from JL and uh, tomorrow I'm supposed to go to the DMV to get a real ID so in case I you know the irony here is I'll probably never fly again because my comedy career is over so I'll just have this real ID I'll pay a little more for my license in the event that I can leave my passport at home when I fly in 2029 or whenever they make this shit like official but um, I guess the only thing left to talk to talk about oh excuse me just adjusting for the old shoulder uh oh, fuck the only thing left to talk about i'm trying to think while i give you all the usual updates you know get your tickets to the show check out the patreon be sure to check out the patreon if you're a patreon subscriber also like if you're already subscribing uh there's a lot of good stuff if you like my opinions or comedy like a lot of good stuff so don't just be a do a donor be a be a user <laughs> um but uh Yeah. Tyree Nichols, uh, Memphis, the, um, it's, it's just an odd week where it was like the two big stories right before the murder of Tyree Nichols was mass shooting followed by mass shooting, followed by police brutally beating a black man to death. Um, I wrote a post on, on Twitter, Instagram, etc. Uh, et cetera, just, you know, and I've said this for long time listeners of the show, you've probably heard me make this, this tell this story, but I understand the impulse. I think it's very easy. It's also very destroying the police, like ending po- the police is like one of those things where you just go, okay, it, it, it isn't happening. So what's, what's plan B. You know, and that's the sort of like whether or not you think it's right or the, the ideal is ending policing and same way to like healthcare for every, you know, universal healthcare and all, the, all these things that may be good ideas in the, in the ideal world created in, in theory, but like it's just things have to actually get done. And, you know, it's 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 that's the thing that, you know, sort of the progressive wing of the Democrats, I think, sometimes are well-meaning. Sometimes they can be they're well-meaning and they mean what they say and hope for that. And other times it just feels like you just want to be unhappy with everybody and, you know, constantly complain and you somehow get off on complaining about your own side, the people more closely aligned to you than the people who are completely against you. But we're not getting rid of police. So plan B. Like that, if that's your plan, a, like that's a non-starter, like just being realistic. (laughs) But, um, what I found interesting is, you know, obviously this harkens back to George Floyd. I think, I think watching that video was worse than Rodney King. Somebody disagreed with me on Twitter and I was like, I don't know, like Rodney King was was horrible, but he was on drugs. He, he was, it, it was like. The Rodney King thing—they should have all been convicted. Like, let's just get out of the way. But this—this this was like that. Those were like cops. Like, it—even it, it, as bad as the Rodney King thing was, it felt worse. This one, like, it felt clearly worse to me. These guys were like holding the guy up. It looked like a movie beatdown. Like, not even like a fight that you might see. It looked like a court, like a movie beatdown where it's like. Oh, here's the scene where we like break his skull and you know riddle him with bullets and like that's why his friend gets revenge. Like th- this, I mean, when you're holding a guy up who can't stand up and you're like wailing on him, like one guy was just wailing on him, and then he's like, this, this, this like, I I said, and obviously people can cite other examples and we don't know all the examples, okay? But this this was like. You know the only thing I can think of that was more shocking to the conscience, even though it didn't result in a fatality, was Abner we where basically a, 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 a group of of NYPD cops, some of them on roids, basically took a dude who may have spit in their face—I forget what the what the instigating circumstance was—and then basically fucking raped the dude with a nightstick, like that. I Like even though of course Luima got a settlement, he's alive. I think he's still alive, but like he. But in terms of the conduct of police officers, that's the only thing to me that was my, like more shocking. And obviously Louima being a Haitian man, it had extra resonance in, in my house um, with my father. But it was, I mean, that was, that, that was as heinous because it's it, brutally beating a man to death is clearly not the, the, the work police officers should be doing. And these people should be in jail if I'm one of their lawyers, if I'm not the guy k- doing the kicking or the punching, I am pleading out immediately testifying ASAP. Like you get like get done, like get whatever deal you can right now. Like you should not be fucking around with any bullshit. But the the Luwima case was so to me on a level worse. Obviously, death is worse than not death. I think we'd mostly agree, but cops like raping a dude, basically sexually assaulting a dude in the part of like, like was like, that's the only thing I can think of that in, in terms of not in terms of final consequences, but in terms of like police act, like behavior murder, considering they carry weapons with them, Murder is less shocking to me than a gang sexual assault uh, of of a, of a of an of an arrestee, but that said, that's like the level that this is at to me. Except because it resulted in a, in a brutal death, it's it's in many ways worse. Um, what, watching it though, I, I I do still think back to my experience as a prosecutor. Um, because of course there were people in my mentions and I don't control who follows me, but there were people in my mentions who, who couldn't help going to the, like the, like the vulgar, the, the vulgar, well, the cops were all black, so you guys can't go racism. And I'm like, you follow me? And that's, that's your simplistic, gross view of this? Because the people who don't want to hear that the Ron DeSantis of the world and his acolytes and the Trumps of the world and his acolytes They don't want to hear about systemic issues or institutional issues. That's all bullshit. And yet when this happens, they think that it's like some sort of black on black crime, that it's not police on black crime, because not to get too, too fucking bogged down in legalese, but there was there briefly, the Supreme Court had briefly, um, ruled uh, the death penalty unconstitutional, I believe in the 70s. I'm forgetting the case. but I think it was a 72 case. And the way, the, the clever way that the, the, you know, the abolitionists kind of pursued the case was they didn't look at it through the lens of the perpetrators, like, oh, more black men get the death penalty than white men. They looked at it through the lens of the victims, that black victims, killers, got the death penalty less than white victims did. And in that, they were suggesting that the victims are not getting sort of due process and justice. It, taking it away from just like, you're racist for condemning black men to death. It was like, you're racist for not giving black victims justice. It, it was a clever, a clever, worthwhile argument. And it worked for, I think, 14 years before the Rehnquist Supreme Court or the Burger, might have been the Burger Supreme Court but before the a more conservative Supreme Court reinstituted the death penalty, yay, more death. So I think in this case, it's a similar thing. You're looking at it wrong if you simply look at white cop, the Derek Chauvin, Derek Chauvin's in jail. And I hate to say this because the George Floyd uh, murder was horrible. And uh, by the way, another very good book review episode of, on the Patreon, uh, when I reviewed the book, the National Book Award nominated book, uh, my na- his name is George Floyd. Um, which of course, when I posted that, I was reading that people who'd never read the book because it had just come out were writing to me, he's no hero. Like, Oh, well you, you didn't read the book. Why are you so tri- Talk about triggered. Why are you so fucking triggered at a book that simply tells the whole story of George Floyd warts and all a man struggling economically, a man trying to do better in his life who did not deserve the death penalty for fucking basically doing nothing. <laughs> he had a lot of dirt. He had a lot of ups and downs in his life, but he also had a lot of friends and, and a lot of people who thought very warmly of him. And that was the, the purpose of the book, I think, was just like, yes, we're gonna give you a full picture of, of the man and not just a caricature or, a, or a, little, a little photo on social media. Great book, really enjoyed it. Anyway, enjoyed it in terms of it was a, it was a good experience reading it, even though it's obviously a tragic story. Um, I, and I hate to say it, the Derek Chauvin thing, I, I didn't, I felt disgusted by it. I felt more disgusted by this. I, I, know there was a methodical, slow arrogance to what Chauvin did. And by the way, um, it was a, it was a rainbow coalition of cops leading to the death of George Floyd, an Asian, a two whites and a black cop were all, um, involved in, in that case, none intervened so what people i think that they, it's it's this it's this the republicans tend to do this a lot they like to it's with remember with voting oh you can't code the, can't we won't we won't allow you to count early votes until election night and then they go why is it taking so long to count all these votes something suspicious in other words they set up a rigged a rigged perception of like, ooh, we're not gonna let you do the obviously right thing, and then we'll ac- we'll stop you from doing the right thing and then accuse you of doing the wrong thing because we stopped you from doing the right thing. So with this, it's kind of, we don't want to teach our kids about systemic issues, institutional issues, de- dealing with race, so that we can then play the simple card when we say, look, black cops killing a black guy, not racist, Well, that's because you never want us to talk about how the institution of policing and law enforcement in this country is rooted in many uh, racist traditions and stereotypes and issues. You don't want to learn that part so that you can then make a simple wrong answer later. Like, look, black cops, not racist. It's the blue. It's the blue that creates the racist system. And like with the death penalty cases, that's why I brought that up. You look at the victims how do what how do cops disproportionately treat black men that's the issue not who's disproportionately treating black men poorly but how does how do police police black men versus how they police other people if you only look at the color of the cop you're ignoring the more important issue the same way that in the 70s they made that argument of no no look at how victims are treated differently and how they how they perpetrators are punished disproportionately. A white life gets a harsher punishment than a black life. That's the sort, and once again, wouldn't that be another prong of a Black Lives Matter uh, argument? But we can't say that either because we have to pretend, we have to pretend the willful ignorance, pretend like Black Lives Matter means no other lives matter, when of course that's not what it means. There's just too many examples of disproportionate treatment against black lives that say, well, we're saying black lives matter because you act like they don't matter. You're the ones, you, your actions created the need for a phrase like black lives matter. Um, and there haven't been a lot of blue lives matters coming out. And, and that's the other flip side. The black cops were indicted very quickly as they should have been. This isn't one of those, I'm not making the argument of like, why are the brothers getting treated worse? Interesting, no, fuck them but they certainly didn't get hemming and hawing and all sorts of, uh, well, you know, we got to look at all the angles and we got to find out what happened before. We have to get everybody's take. They're like, nope, this is a murder. (laughs) You are off the force and indicted, sir, sirs. Um, But there's not a lot of like Blue Lives Matter chatter coming out for these guys, which is also interesting, isn't it? Um, But what I would also say is, let's not forget you know, Donald Trump has said the Memphis thing was terrible, as any decent human being should. Um, if your first instinct, even Donald Trump's first instinct, wasn't to say black cops, hey, black cops, if if your instinct in my thread is worse than Donald Trump's instinct on matters of race, you are a horrible piece of shit, and I blocked somebody today already. I don't need I don't need you ever interacting with me. But the I think. sorry, I've been going all over the place on this. I was coherent until this point. But I think that, I just think that it would be interesting to see the, it's just interesting to see that the Blue Lives Matter people are not out in full force about this. Um, nor, Nor should they be. But, you know, what I would say is, George Floyd united the world, really. Everybody, Republicans, Democrats, it was the easiest slam dunk to condemn that. But then harder things came out of it. Like, yes, I believe the phrase defund the police is a fucking stupid phrase. It just is. It's bad politics. Sorry. I live in the real world. Um, and you get like a pat on the back and and fist emojis from like your, your, your progressive allies if you go all the way, but it's like that's a stupid phrase. Um, and... What I think what I what I think you have to remember though is like it they couldn't wait to not focus on George Floyd and the things that had to happen. As soon as they kind of mourned or gave credence to like, oh wow, this was horrible. He should this shouldn't have happened. They want to shift as quickly as possible to discussions of policy and wokism and liberals going too far. Like we're on the clock now that the death of Tyree Nichols, we are on the clock. We are on the clock until half this country gets to that place where they can go, okay, well, no, what happened to him was sad, but now you're going too far. Like the, we are on the clock. I, I, I give it, you know, by spring, we will be at a place of like, mocking the left for going too far and forcing people like Joe Biden into a, you know, the progressives forcing him into like, looking more progressive and Republicans accusing every moment. Remember, this is a country where when Barack Obama said, empathized with Trayvon Martin, he was called divisive by the right. Simply because a dead child got empathy from President Obama. That was divisive. It was like, how's that divide? Like, what's the other side? Like, dead, innocent child, or now we have just a heap of evidence that George uh, George Zimmerman is a fucking piece of shit. Not that you couldn't know that from the one incident where he followed and murdered a child. Um, he's a piece of shit. And so what's the other side? What, what like who is Obama dividing? Those who think black dead unarmed children are a bad thing and those who don't, uh, then if that's dividing you, you're the problem. <laughs> but we are on the clock before Tyree Nichols, um, they will throw these cops under the bus as they should, as they should be, but that that will be like, once again, like a penance. Like the way Derek Chauvin was so easily thrown away as like a, oh, he's like the, the, the blue life virgin sacrifice that we'll throw into the progressive volcano and then we can go back to business as usual complaining about all the changes that people want to make so that a George Floyd doesn't happen again. We can just say, Derek Chauvin's in jail back to business as usual. Don't be woke. Don't make my kids feel bad in school. Don't insult white people. Don't call us a racist country. Don't insult law enforcement. But yes, Derek Chauvin's bad moving on. And that's what they're going to do with this because that's, you know, that's what, that's what happens. Like I'm not, this isn't me making like some bold prediction of like, watch, uh, pay attention, everybody in six months, remember this podcast you don't have to remember this podcast like it's gonna happen i, I this isn't me being like bold it's ha- it's gonna happen because it always happens um and it's sad and and what i would say is what i what i making it personal to my own experience i've said this before but if you haven't heard this forgive if you have heard this forgive me but when i worked at the da's office it was my first job out of law school and i um you know i am am ai am a i'm a i'm a Biracial church going person. I, I probably am a little socially more socially conservative than the average um, lifetime Democrat, but you know, as a whole, I'm a left-of-center person for sure. But, you know, I went to the DA's office. I, I wanted to do trials. I found I thought it would be a cool job to have. It, it wasn't a terrible job, but I worked in the Bronx. Now the Bronx is a diverse borough, but in the cases that I saw. Majority of vast majority of the names I would see on criminal complaints were Latino: Sanchez, Diaz, Gutierrez, etc. And during this experience, um, I felt I was also—I da- mean, I've said this—I was dating a Puerto Rican woman, and who I was in love with. And that was going great. But I felt like sometime in that experience, I almost started to feel like resentment in a weird way. Not for any individual defendant, but in terms of like every day, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seeing my, my girlfriend in her world. And then I'm seeing all these guys. And I started to feel this kind of like hostility. If I can call it that, like, and I had to check myself. Unfortunately, you know, based my background, my education, going to a quote-unquote liberal, liberalish college, Williams College, where you, you you're exposed to other things. Sometimes you don't even realize you're being exposed to things, but you sort of. I got into a fight with with friends early into law school from high school because one of them casually threw around, pardon me, but threw around fag. You know, and it was a word I used in high school plenty. I was I was a child of the eighties and nineties. Like, and then once I got to college, Williams, I found like they had like queer pride week or pride week. And you'd walk around the campus and like every night they would chalk these offensive things. It'd be like, Jesus sucks dick. And Mary was a lesbian. And I'd just be like, well, that's, I don't know what agenda you're trying to That that feels like inappropriate or like, you know, insulting. Um, but at the same time, other things, not that, you know, not those chalkings, but but as part of the broader efforts of the college to be inclusive and to open people's eyes. I didn't even realize what was happening. Now, some people call this indoctrination. I would call this maturity and acceptance. Um, but by the time my friends were saying the word fag in front of me, and I apologize for saying it again, but the, the F word, by the time they were saying it in front of me, I was just like, don't, I just said, don't do that and i had to tell a friend like 15 years later i was like not not in my house man i was just like it's a slur it's a slur. i don't care what excuse you have it's a hate it's a hateful word and i don't even i can't pinpoint to you that moment when i decided or felt but i just and that's a good thing some people might say oh you were you got woke Well, shut up it's a good thing to just not want to hurt other people and use disgusting language and think bad things about other people just because of who they are. Pretty basic, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm just giving you my example from like how I matured from like 17 to 23. And my experience at the DA, I felt, I had never felt like any kind of racism in me. I always, you know, I had the protection of being, I got a black dad and a white mom, I'm not racist. I I, I like all people. you know, my, my first, my first girlfriend in college was, was Asian. And my, my, my new girlfriend is, is Puerto Rican. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all about everybody, but as it began to creep into the job and you have to understand as a prosecutor, just like as a cop and a cop is more stressful than being, you know, being in the office portion of law enforcement and the, is, is a lot less pressure than being in the streets of law enforcement. So I concede that completely to cops, but you start to feel, I started to feel this like creeping resentment of like, what's wrong with these people. And I had to check myself. And that one of the great things about leaving that office for private practice, um, was I felt like I was doing the right thing for me. Like, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to be surrounded. I mean, my uncle taught public school, special ed public school for 25 years. He was a a left wing, you know, Irish American guy, but he hung out with, he had some, he had some hung out with some racists, you know, from around the way at his local bar. Although he went, you know, he, he stopped going to his local bar, um, you know, in his like late fifties because he just couldn't, he couldn't, these people he'd known, it was just like, it was too much, you know? So that he, so his mature, his process was like much slower, but he came to a, to a similar place of like, but, but at the same time, uh, he had creeping prejudices about working in like lower income public schools in New York because he would be a parent teacher comp- teacher night and like three parents total would show up out of like 25 kids. Now, of course, some of that can be jobs. Some of that can be lack of interest. Some of that can be, I can't find a babysitter or I have to work a second job, but emotionally that kind of shit can, I saw it take a toll on my, 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 my uncle, you know, cause he loved some of his kids and, and felt such pride, whether it was white savior shit or just like, hey, I like seeing these kids do well. He felt great pride in, 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 in seeing his kids succeed, the ones that did. But then emotionally he could get to that place. Like, you know, once again, not that I heard him say these words, but like that kind of what's wrong with these people, because if you're working in a community, that's, fairly monochromatic. you start that's different from you. you might or even the same as you, you might attribute these societal failures or these things that you don't know the answer to. You might just assign them to, to character and to the group. And so I saw that with my uncle teaching low-income public school. Um, I saw it, you know, I saw a change in me with LGBTQ issues from high school to graduate school in terms of just how I viewed things and how I wanted to treat people. So at the DA's office, I think I think having a girlfriend that was part of that community. I don't know if I felt this sort of sense of like, I'm trying to be a savior too, or like I'm trying to help your your like, why why like they're giving your your people a bad like I'm not I'm, these are all like subconscious things. These are not things I could articulate. I'm trying to like literally explain, but I but the bottom line is, I could feel a creeping resentment. And what I, what I would say that is you live in the Bronx, you can be surrounded by a lot of Latin people just doing their jobs, going to work. But when you're at the DA's office or you're a cop, but especially by, by the time you're in the DA's office, the only thing coming to you is crimes, crimes and victims. At least cops, if they do their job right, can have good relations with the community if they so choose. But me, I don't even get the community relations. I'm just like, oh, 30 more cases, not 28 of them are Sanchez, Diaz, Gutierrez, Lopez, and I was thankful that I would be aware of that. I think some of that stems from my intelligence, my background, my desire not to be somebody who thinks of people like that, and my educational background. I think the whole package made me somebody who could at least be aware, who could like identify when that was happening. But not everybody's gonna be that way. And what I wrote on Twitter was basically, I don't have faith that we can get this done, but what really needs to be done in terms of any kind of realistic approach, if possible, is, first of all, recruitment has to be different. Standards for law enforcement have to be different because you're gonna have guys who come into law enforcement with already prejudices, biases, and and desires to fuck shit up, whether they're third-generation cops or whether they're MAGA morons or whatever. I think you need to have a, a tighter screening process. I think, you know, more education is better. Like I remember NYPD like lowered, I think they wanted a college degree and then it went from a college degree to two years of college. And I remember a cop telling me when I was at the DA's office, it was either a cop or, a, or, a, or a prosecutor, but saying like, oh, get ready for the shit show year a few years from now. Meaning you're gonna have people who are less exposed to broader education. You're gonna have people who are, younger entering potentially like, like things like that. Um, so I think the recruitment process has to be different. This is, this goes beyond like, like the the fix it's, which are like the national, the federal legislation that's been, you know, thanks to Tim Scott, um, went nowhere after George Floyd. Those are things that will like be more about, I think in many ways, holding wrongdoing accountable. But I'm talking about more of the preventative shit, which is generational, not just like, well, if you do this, you're getting the death penalty. This is like, how do we change the culture, which is a lot harder. And we don't have the, we don't have the patience for climate change work. We, we're not gonna have the patience for, uh, on either side, we're not gonna have the patience for 20 years of changing how policing works from, from, from the beginning of policing. So obviously, I think we need to weed out some people in the beginning. But as I'm giving you my example, I can freely admit that being a cop, the same way it ha- be, my uncle's experience as a teacher, my experience as a prosecutor, being a cop will shift you and change you. And so I think there needs to be real constant training and updating and check-ins and psych work and community interaction, not like a fucking cop playing basketball once a week for a social media video, but like real, you need cops to live in communities. I had to live in New York City as a prosecutor it as part of the employment agreement, which was expensive. I lived at home for two years because I was like, well, fuck, I can't afford, I don't want a roommate that I'm not related to. So mom and dad, I'm coming back with my law degree. But cops can live anywhere. So they end up living in like fucking white suburbs, like outside the city. They form their own kind of clique. They have no connection to the community in many ways. All those things that I think have to change. I think you should have to be, if not in your community, like close, like more, like that. that and, and and like I said, these not any one of these is a catch-all solution. I think it's an aggregate issue. I think we need the George form, the George Floyd Reform and Policing Act, if that's the official title. But I also think we need to change the way we recruit people, and we need to change the way we train, and and you know continually educate and train our officers. Now, you're going to have a lot of MAGA people who think, oh, fucking liberal pussy shit. Maybe you shouldn't be a cop then. Like maybe you should have been weeded out. And I'm not saying to have a political test, but if you think being a cop is about being fucking macho, you're maybe not the right guy to be a cop. I want tough people as cops, but I don't want macho people, if that makes sense. Um, Macho is for show. Tough is about your fucking character. And I just think we've got to train and update like constantly. There has to be a constant recognition that like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be working the beat all the time. Maybe maybe a rotation, you know, where you do, uh, and I don't know, I'm speaking f- somewhat of ignorance, but like maybe I don't want my cop being just fucking on the anti-crime unit for, for years at a time thinking he's a fucking scorpion, like all these fucking names that these groups have. I think, you need to change how we recruit people and i think you need to be more vigilant in how you monitor people and then you need to be more punitive when when officers do wrong so i think it's a three it's a cradle to the fucking grave approach pardon the pun i really think it's a cradle to the grave re- now what i'm saying does not involve defunding police ending police but it does involve really changing policing for the better um in terms of who becomes a cop and how they stay cops, because the thing you have to be on guard for, and nobody, I don't ever hear anybody talk about this, but I talk about it from a per- perspective of being a prosecutor, and I'm, I am sure it can only be worse as a cop. The pressures of the job, if you take a bad person, being a cop is gonna probably make them a worse person. If you take a good person, the nature of police work, if it doesn't change, can change a good person into, at best, maybe a cynic, and at worst into a fucking terrorist on the streets. So I think that's, that's my take on all this. It's a, it's a fucking tragedy, but I think you gotta be realistic about what, you have to be ambitious, but realistic. And I think too many people are ambitious or, or clout chasing or looking to be outrageous or, or are genuinely outraged and emotional, and that's totally understandable. But when the dust settles, ambitious, but realistic, I think has to be the approach. Um, and you know, like I said, change how you recruit more education for cops, um, train the cops better, continually educate and check in with cops, not just when they shoot somebody, do they get a psych eval? And once again, admittedly, I'm speaking of some ignorance on this. Um, but keep your people keep get good people to do the job and then keep those good people as good people and when they and if they still become bad people punish them harshly and that's I mean it's it's maybe simple to say but I was hoping maybe my personal experience in my family and in my own job maybe gives it a little more credence a little more self-awareness but that's what I think has to happen and that's what I hope happens but You know, unfortunately, this, I think, should be um, universally kind of understandable. Like we want good people to become cops. Can't we all agree on that? And we want cops to not become jaded and biased because of the nature, the difficult nature of their work. Can we agree on that? Sure. And do we agree that when a cop really does violate their their oath to protect and goes overboard and and does criminal activity that there's no excuse for, we want them punished harshly, yes. But the problem is in between those very broad strokes is a lot of wiggle room for politicians to manipulate people, manipulate the issues, oversimplify the issues, and then you get nowhere and people retreat back to their, to their two sides. So um, there, guys. See, sometimes there's things even more depressing than my comedy career, and I can become uh, very articulate and thoughtful. So not afraid of becoming a criminal justice reform advocate on a comedy podcast. God, Ron Reagan Jr., I didn't think you were going to show up. Thankfully, you saved the end of the show. So that's my take on all that. Um, feel free to share the episode if you, if you thought this was a good one. Um, please give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. I'm, I'm still under 200 ratings. Would like to get over that. So just do that now while you're listening. And even more important, get tickets to some of my shows. Join my Patreon. Be good to each other. Stay healthy. Stay safe. If you're a praying type, well, first pray for Tyree Nichols' family. But then please pray for my shoulder if you have prayer left over. Um, but I will see you in Newark and Chicago in the next week. Um, check out Making Podcasts Great Again if you don't already. It's a it's a it's you know an excellent character based podcast every week with me as Trump. It's still going strong and I'm still fucking funny on it. Um, contrary to what I thought I'd be doing at this point, but, uh, and, um, the special is coming along. So prayers that it can come out in February or get bought in February, who knows, but, uh, I feel a slight tinge of optimism. So thank you for listening guys. And I will see you next Tuesday. And here comes the part of the show where I have to unlock my phone so that I can stop the recording and bye.